get the unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Monday, July 3rd, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, the grandmother of the French teenager shot dead by police is calling for calm. There's a mixed reaction in Mali after the UN announced the withdrawal of peacekeepers by the end of the year. Many summer travelers in China are seeking meaningful experiences that connect them with local communities. In business, China's smaller companies reported continued growth in June. In sports, the Chinese women's basketball team breaks its title drought. In culture and entertainment, the annual Gateway to Arts 2023 Summer Festival. Now checking the day's top stories. Authorities in France have arrested more than 700 people on the fifth night of rioting as angry crowds protest the killing of a teenager. Additional security forces are deployed in the worst-hit cities. The ongoing unrest has affected tourists and holidaymakers. Wang Chiwei has more. Another wave of violent protests sweeps across the nation. Looting. Fires. And a burning car to attack the home of a local Paris mayor. The demonstrators have been enraged by the death of 17-year-old Nahal M of North African descent. He was shot dead by police at a traffic stop in Paris on Tuesday. Even after his funeral, the fallout from his shooting is still being felt, hundreds of kilometers away in the city of Marseille, where police fired tear gas fought street battles with protesters. The police in French is uh, racism. There's lots of looting here in France because what did they do? They shoot at us and we loot for revenge. The state did not back down with 45,000 more police officers being sent out onto the streets. President Emmanuel Macron has postponed the state visit to Germany that was due to begin on Sunday. Amid the chaos, Countries including China have warned people of the risks of traveling to France, with reports that a bus carrying 41 Chinese tourists was badly damaged in an attack by rioters in Marseille. Summer holidaymakers may have to rethink their plans as the current wave of turmoil across the nation continues. That was Wang Chiwei reporting. The grandmother of the teenager shot dead by police says she wants the nationwide rioting triggered by the killing to end as France braces for a potential sixth night of unrest. I'm angry with the police officer who killed my grandson. That's all I'm angry with. We have the police and lucky for us that we have the police. And the people who are breaking things, I tell them, stop it, stop it. They are doing this with Nael as a pretext. No, people should stop. They should stop. They should not break store windows. They should not ransack schools. 45,000 police officers deployed again uh, overnight to deter rioters who've torched cars, looted stores, and targeted town halls and police stations. Teen's grandmother, identified as Nadia, says the rioters were using the 17-year-old's death as an excuse to cause havoc, and uh, the family wants calm. The riots amount to the worst crisis for French President Emmanuel Macron since the Yellow Vest protests gripped much of France in late 2018.
The German chancellor says his country has been following the situation in France with concern. Olaf Scholz says acts of violence are not acceptable. We cannot have acts of violence being committed. And at the same time, it's always the case that we must do everything so that cohesion in our societies works well. Schultz says he believes France will be able to resolve the issue with the protesters and understands Emmanuel Macron's decision to postpone what would have been a first state visit by a French president to Germany in 23 years. Two people are dead and 28 injured in a shooting in Baltimore, Maryland. The incident happened at a neighborhood party with hundreds of people. Officials have urged the community to come forward with any information. Karina Mitchell has more. This all started when police in the area started getting multiple calls about gunshot fire in the 800 block of Gretna Court and 30 victims were involved. Nine were transported from the scene to area hospitals. 20 others actually made their way to area hospitals on their own. We do know four of the victims involved are children and that from a statement from the University of Maryland's medical system spokesman. Now people all day have been extremely rattled but we did speak to one woman who said that her nephew died as a result of this incident. By the time I got the phone call it was five this morning that he was gone, okay? I don't know what happened. I was gone, I don't know. Only thing that I know is my daughter, which is there, I told him to stay home. Too much was happening. These videos are surfing in the internet. They, these kids is finding it funny. It's nothing funny. Nothing funny about this. Now investigators are still working to try and determine who the suspect or suspects are in this case and what the motive was. And they're asking for cooperation from the public. Baltimore's mayor also weighed in on this. He said this is a working class neighborhood and people here don't deserve this sort of treatment. He called the event that happened here reckless. And he said it happened in the midst of a celebration. We have some folks who wanted to act like cowards who are carrying guns that they probably shouldn't have that uh, uh, probably don't even come from the state of Maryland. Maybe it were, they were a ghost gun. Uh, but we know uh, uh, that we're going to not rest until we find these individuals and hold them accountable. And this all comes as federal prosecutors have been touting a push to reduce violent crime in the area. So far, there have been 130 homicides in the Baltimore area, 300 shootings. That is less cases than at the same time a year ago. That was Karina Mitchell reporting from the scene of a shooting in Baltimore. Coming up, Molly reacts to the UN's announced withdrawal of peacekeepers. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour brings you an hour of comprehensive news and information from both China, China, and the rest of the world. Rest of the world. A mix of news, sports, and entertainment. In-depth analysis of the day's big stories, as well as the most comprehensive business of the day. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. Your very own window to China and the rest of the world. Seven minutes past the hour. Well, there have been mixed reactions from Mali after the United Nations announced it would end its peacekeeping missions there by the end of this year. The UN Security Council unanimously voted to wind up the operations in the West African nation. Mali's interim governments accused peacekeepers of not doing enough to stop the violence. Anastasia Weweru reports. UN peacekeepers have been in Mali for a decade now. The rule has been to protect civilians and help restore stability. But an insurgency in the country by militants has killed many and displaced millions.
the Malian government says the thousands of UN troops have not done enough to stop the killing of civilians. The UN Security Council's announcement that the mission will end by December has drawn varying reactions in Mali. The withdrawal of MINUSMA was our wish. We have been fighting for its withdrawal from Mali for years. For me, the results of MINUSMA are very negative, and that is a real shame. They were manipulated, and that is why their mission on Malian territory was a failure. Several UN Security Council members have warned that the withdrawal comes at a time when conditions are unsuitable and may worsen the security situation in Mali. Others say the timelines should be revised to allow for a safe and orderly exit of the United Nations troops. Some locals are confident that Malian authorities will boost security across the country even when the UN peacekeepers have left. Our security forces have the capacity to better manage and strengthen Mali's security. They have shown Malians and the world that Mali can take care of itself by proving themselves during the fighting in the north, the south and the east of Mali. We can now ensure our own security because we have full confidence in our brave soldiers. Given the tensions between the Malian authorities and MINUSMA, it was necessary to act on Malian soil. We can therefore conclude that the Security Council's vote is simply the culmination of the difficulties that have characterized the two parties for the past two years. That report was on the response from Mali after the UN announced its intention to pull out of its peacekeeping missions. Our participants at the third China-Africa Economic and Trade Expo have closed 120 deals worth over 10 billion U.S. dollars. Exhibitors from 53 African countries took part in the four-day fair in Changsha. Daniel Aratmoy was there. At least 1,500 exhibitors from 53 African countries attended this year's expo. According to many of them, the Changsha business matchmaking sessions helped them build new relationships. We've been able to get more clients who are more willing to invest in, 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 in Kenya or even in Africa. It is really big. Yeah, I have not been in... Uh, uh, Hunan before and then when I came here it was really um, eye-opening because I got to meet many people. For some the exhibition was an opportunity to strike business deals worth millions of dollars. For me I got a lot of opportunities to network with people, big clients, yeah, I got opportunities to meet like a big buyers so I have promise and uh, I have connections so I will do a flow up just to make a deal. This was great. Uh, we saw a lot of the cast, uh, government from different countries. Uh, we saw Burkina Faso, uh, Kenya, and a lot of minister of commerce come to our uh, board, and uh, we have uh, deep in communication with them. They are very interested in the AMS solutions. The expo highlighted various sectors, including infrastructure development, agriculture, manufacturing, energy, and technology. The event also witnessed the signing of several agreements and memoranda of understanding between Chinese and African companies. At least $3.6 billion agreement was reached between government and business representatives from China and Africa. This is big. It is big because it is a turning point in uh, China's relation with Africa. Uh, first, because of all these bashing about debt, debt traps and all that, which is not true, but it's all over there.
uh, China and Africa have invested heavily in trade and investment. The conclusion of the third China-Africa Economic and Trade Expo marks yet another milestone in the continuous efforts to deepen economic cooperation between China and African nations. It is expected that the Expo will help to further strengthen trade relations, promote investment and foster sustainable economic development between China and Africa. That was Daniel Ratmoy at the China-Africa Economic and Trade Expo. A Russian official says Russia has brought 700,000 children from the conflict zones in Ukraine into Russian territory. Moscow says its program of bringing children from Ukraine into Russian territory is to protect orphans and children abandoned in the conflict zone. However, Ukraine says many children have been illegally deported, and the United States says thousands of children have been forcibly removed from their homes. Most of the movement of people and children occurred in the first few months of the conflict and before Ukraine's started its major counteroffensive. Japan's Fukushima prefecture is still struggling to recover from the nuclear uh, disaster a decade ago after the tsunami that damaged the nuclear power plant. Some locals worried that uh, the pending discharge of contaminated water from the facility could prove to be another setback. Jack Barton went to Fukushima and asked locals about their opinions. Some areas near Fukushima's destroyed nuclear power plant have reopened to former residents over the past few years. I'm told there are people living here in Okuma town, but it's very hard to find them. And if you look around, the desolation speaks for itself. Despite massive restoration projects, many homes and shops along the coast remain frozen in time. About 160,000 people were evacuated from this region after a magnitude 9 earthquake, the strongest ever recorded in Japan, caused a massive tsunami which killed almost 20,000 people and led to the meltdown of three reactors at the nearby nuclear power plant. Japan plans to release contaminated water used to cool those reactors into the Pacific Ocean. Finally, I find two former residents who've come to inspect their homes. <laughs> they say the town was off limits for too long. They no longer want to return, but not because they fear lingering or future radiation. Does the release of the contaminated water worry you? We don't have any fear at all. Isn't it okay to do that? We're not involved in the fishing industry, and we were eating fish from Fukushima one year after the disaster. It's a very different situation for Japanese fishermen, whose catch is banned in some neighboring countries and whose fleet still largely sits idle. And there is also opposition from many young Japanese people in towns that are now starting to revive, like Namie. What do you think about the plan to release contaminated water into the Pacific Ocean? I don't really agree with it. So when the contaminated water is released into the sea, I believe fish and other things will be affected. Even if the water released meets the safety standards set by the government, from the foreign perspective, it won't change the fact that contaminated water was released into the sea. It seems a common view here. Truthfully, I think it's dirty, and my opinion is I don't really want them to do this. 
the head of the International Atomic Energy Agency is expected to give the green light for the release of contaminated water from the Daiichi nuclear plant, a process still mired in controversy that could take four decades to complete. That was Jack Barton reporting. Prominent figures and senior politicians from China, Japan, and South Korea have gathered in Qingdao for a forum on trilateral cooperation. Senior Chinese diplomat Wang Yi called for joint efforts to maintain regional stability, boost the economy, tackle challenges, and strengthen people-to-people -people exchanges. Zhou Yixin has more. The theme of the forum is revitalizing trilateral cooperation in the post-COVID era. Chinese senior diplomat Wang Yi delivered a speech at the forum, the theme of which was grasping the right direction and jointly revitalizing Asia. Wang said that uh, the three countries should resist Cold War mentality. He said that the three countries should practice multilateralism and uh, oppose the introduction of any geopolitical conflicts or confrontation into the region and resolve the differences peacefully. Wang also said that the three countries should promote free trade zone negotiations and promote trade liberalization and facilitation. Wang also expects more cooperation in the fields of clean energy, agriculture and finance. Added that the three countries should strengthen mutual assistance in tackling uh, common challenges. Wang also mentioned that for issues related to the interests of people of various countries, uh, for example, the discharge of nuclear wastewater, consultation and communication with neighboring countries should be strengthened. South Korean Foreign Minister Park Jing and uh, Japanese Foreign Minister Yoshimasa Hayashi both pointed out the importance and necessity of the trilateral cooperation. That was Joe Sheen in Qingdao. Well, Israel's approved the purchase of a third squadron of F-35 uh, stealth fighter jets in a deal worth three billion U.S. dollars. The Israeli Defense Ministry says the additional 25 aircraft will bring the country's F-35 fleet to 75. The deal will be financed by the military aid that Israel receives from the United States. Israel's the first country outside the U.S. to acquire F-35 fighter jets. F-35 manufacturer Lockheed Martin and engine manufacturer Pratt & Whitney have agreed to cooperate with Israeli defense companies to produce aircraft components. Talks continue as several thousand unionized port workers in British Columbia, Canada went on strike after failing to reach a deal to renew an industry-wide contract that expired in March. The BC Maritime Employers Association says it's met with the International Longshore and Warehouse Union Canada. Union President uh, Rob Ashton addressed the sacrifice made by frontline workers during the pandemic. When all Canadians were asked to stay home, to stay safe, our people had to go to work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, in unsafe conditions, putting ourselves on the line. Longshore workers stepped up in this historic time. We, we did it with bravery and discipline. We were called heroes at that time, and our employers gorged themselves on record profits. But now they have seemed to forgotten the sacrifices that our people made and the tremendous contributions our members did at those times. The Canadian Federation of Independent Business says that the walkout can have serious consequences for Canada's economy and small businesses. The group has urged the government to ensure port operations are maintained. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up, travelers in China seeking meaningful experiences.
ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get an hour wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa talk. Find us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, and more. We'll see you there. Now, 20 minutes past the hour. The travel industry is seeing a significant surge in demand as students are preparing to bid farewell to their alma maters. Instead of focusing solely on sightseeing, though, these travelers are now seeking more meaningful experiences that connect them with the local community. Cheng Tao has more. A new and increasingly popular group of travelers is emerging this summer. They are known as travel squads, who prefer places with concentrated tourist resorts. Their aim is to visit all the popular spots within the shortest possible time. Wang Tangfei just graduated from Beijing Institute of Technology. He says his goal is to create more meaningful and lasting memories during his travels. The traveling schedule in the summer is very tight. For me, the true value of traveling isn't about sightseeing. It's also about seizing the opportunity to make new friends and engage with them, to learn about their lives. Adventure trips have also become more popular this year among graduates. These trips often involve activities such as hiking, camping, and rock climbing. New grad Xu Haiyue says such activities provide an opportunity for her to explore the beauty of nature. I think protection efforts over the years have helped improve the environment. Nature is truly stunning, while cities are all alike with their cement buildings and infrastructure. For us, the essence of traveling lies in exploring natural resources and experiencing the unique local culture. Graduates these days are more rational when it comes to spending. Statistics indicate that the number of online bookings for high-speed trains has tripled compared to air travel. For them, train travel is not only more economical, but also offers an opportunity for communication and social interaction. We've just finished college and don't have any income yet, so I think we need to choose affordable travel routes and activities. We can also consider teaming up with others to split the costs. Furthermore, a growing number of young graduates are opting for driving tours to enjoy a more personalized travel experience. This summer, there has been a significant surge of over 50% in the number of car rental users aged between 18 and 24 on the popular online travel platform Ctrip. Destinations like Chengdu, Sanya, Haikou, Xinjiang and Dali are particularly popular among these young people. Local authorities in many scenic spots across China have also released various preferential policies for graduates. Yuan Lian is the manager of a scenic spot in the central province of Hunan. We have a half-price discount for our lake viewing Road 1 and Road 2 for all graduates across the country. According to Ctrip, the number of scenic spot tickets booked by graduates jumped over 250% this summer. For the Beijing Hour, this is Jiang Tao. Riyue Bay in Hainan is emerging as one of the world's top surfing destinations. The temperate climate on the island province is luring travelers for water sports and the tropical lifestyle. Guo Tianxi spoke with some of them. 
Frack is a musician from the Philippines and has been living by the beach for six months. The two things he says he must do every day: drinking from a fresh coconut and surfing. For Frack, the healthy lifestyle and getting closer to nature have also inspired his work as a DJ. And the response from audience here makes him feel recognized. They love every genre of music here. Every so you can play. Like basically everything, everything, everything. They just embrace it. So I think being an artist, and if you if you want growth, you need to be in a place where people actually embrace it, and you can actually, you know, explore new genres. Unlike other famous holiday resorts, international talents come to Ruya Bay to settle down rather than just passing through. Jay started his career at a bar, working in Shanghai, Chengdu, and other big Chinese cities. Before working his way up to become a manager, he says the bay in Hainan has huge potential for growth. I think if like a lot of my friends were able to, a lot of the people that I know from from home and from、uh, from everywhere that I've travelled, if they knew what it was like here, they'd probably swim. They wouldn't even wait for the flight; they'd probably swim. It's clear this once fishing village on the east coast of Hainan Province has become a true global village. With people from all over the world finding a place to work, live, and call home. That was Guo Tianqi reporting from Hainan Province. Well, the current director general of the UN Food and Agriculture Organization has won an, another four-year term.、Uh, Chu Dongyu is the FAO's first Chinese chief. His new term starts on August the first. Chu previously served as China's vice minister of agriculture and rural affairs. FAO member countries, including Israel, Argentina, and Kenya, have welcomed Chu's reappointment. Israel think that DG did a wonderful, wonderful job. Are we looking forward for another four years of his work? We really believe that Dr. Chu can lead this organization to have a, a great platform in a science-based, neutral, plural, inclusive, transparent, in order to try to achieve SDGs, in particular SDG to zero hunger. FAO is running more than eight. Development programs to support women, to support youth, to support small-scale farmers.、Uh, Dr. Chu Dongyu is a great man to Kenya. He's a great man to Africa, and he's a great man to the world. Well, China has been a member of the FAO since 1973. The organizations provided financial support, agricultural expertise, and technologies, and、uh, actively participated in FAO initiatives such as the Committee、uh, on World Food Safety and the Global Soil Partnership. China's largest ultra-high-voltage power transmission project across the Yangtze River is now operational. Project stretches from the city of Taizhou to Wuxi in Jiangsu Province, with a total length of 178 kilometers. It's estimated that the maximum annual power transmission of the project can meet the electricity consumption of a medium-sized Chinese city for a year. It'll help to promote clean energy like offshore wind power in the Yangtze River Delta. One of the world's longest living giant pandas celebrated her 33rd birthday in Mexico City. 
the uh, Chapultepec Zoo served Shinshin a specially made apple cake together with a panda-shaped cardboard piñata that was filled with apples. Chinese ambassador to Mexico, Zheng Run, attended the birthday party where he expressed appreciation uh, to the Mexican government and the zoo's efforts to care for the bear. Shinshin uh, is one of the offspring of a pair of giant pandas presented by the Chinese government to the Mexican government back in 1975. We're at 28 past the hour. Beijing's getting 23 degrees overnight. Tuesday, you'll see a bit of uh, light rain turning to sunny with the high of 32. Chongqing's 24 overnight, then cloudy and 28 degrees. Lass is down to 10, then a light rain and 25. Hong Kong is 26 this evening, then some rainfall and 31 degrees. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 23 overnight, a light rain and 31 on Tuesday. Islamabad's at 23 tonight, then a light rain and uh, 38 degrees. Bangkok's 27 overnight, then a light rain and 34. In Africa, Nairobi is getting a light rain and 21 degrees Celsius. Finally to Oceania, Sydney's at 9 this evening, a light rainfall and 14 on Tuesday. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, the grandmother of the French teenager shot dead by police is calling for calm. There's mixed reaction in Mali after the UN announced the withdrawal of peacekeepers by the end of the year. Many summer travelers in China are seeking meaningful experiences that connect them with local communities. Shane Begum with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. 60 minutes of comprehensive news. Your window on China and the world. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Monday. Still to come in business. China's smaller companies reported uh, continued growth in June. In sports, the Chinese women's basketball team breaks its title drought. In culture and entertainment, the annual Gateway to Arts 2023 Summer Festival. To contact us, you can email beijinghour at cri.com.cn. Now checking the day's headlines. 
U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is visiting China this week, marking the second trip of the country by a U.S. cabinet official recently. Uh, China's finance ministry says Yellen will be in Beijing from Thursday to Sunday. According to the U.S. Treasury Department, Yellen will discuss how the U.S. views its economic relationship with China and she'll meet senior Chinese officials and representatives from leading American firms. Uh, the visit follows the trip two weeks ago by Antony Blinken, who became the first U.S. Secretary of State to visit China in five years. The wife and child of a French mayor in uh, the, uh, a Paris suburb were injured when a burning car slammed into their home during the violence over the police killing of a teenage driver. Uh, Vincent Jean Brun says he never imagined that someone would threaten his family with death. This is my second term in office. I was elected mayor at the age of 29 in the town where I grew up. I would never have imagined putting my wife and children at risk because I was committed to serving the residents. Jean Brun said there was no doubt that the perpetrator wanted to burn down the house, adding that fireworks were released onto the property while lights were on inside. Paris Police Chief Laurent Nunez says uh, they'll not diminish uh, the deployment of police forces in the coming days. Obviously, it will not be on your program that I will reveal our strategy for tonight. But what I can say is that we will have the same resources deployed. And I want to send a message of firmness and that we will be very reactive. And as we have done in previous nights, we will arrest massively. Hundreds of police and firefighters have been injured in the violence. U.S. police say gunfire that erupted at a blog party in Baltimore has killed two people, wounded 28, and left an extensive crime scene. Police say the shooting took place when at least two people opened fire at a blog party in the Brooklyn Homes area in the southern part of the city. Acting Police Commissioner Richard Worley has uh, explained the details of the incident. Currently, we are still at 30 victims. Ages range from 13 to 32. Nine victims remain at area hospitals in various conditions. Two victims have been pronounced deceased. Our hearts and prayers continue to go out to the families, friends, this community, and our city as a whole. Our officers continue to scour the large, very large crime scene. Worley says it's not clear if the shooting was targeted or random. The violence in Baltimore occurred as federal prosecutors there touted their efforts to reduce violent crime in the city. Police have reported nearly 130 homicides and close to 300 shootings so far this year, though that's down from the same time last year. Authorities have vowed to crack down aggressively on repeat violent offenders. The United Nations has a record 25 million people in Sudan are in need of humanitarian aid and protection. Fighting between the Sudanese army and paramilitary RSF intensified with air and artillery strikes in Khartoum and neighboring cities. The Sudanese Doctors' Union is accusing the RSF of raiding one of the few hospitals still operating in the country and killing a staff member. The RSF has denied that accusation. The International Organization for Migration reports that since April 15th, the attacks have killed nearly 3,000 people and displaced 2.2 million within the country and another 640. 45,000 who fled across borders. The China-Africa Economic and Trade Expo has wrapped up with projects signed worth over 10 billion U.S. dollars. Wang Dong is a senior official with the Chinese Ministry of Commerce. The economic and trade cooperation between China and Africa has been expanding from traditional trade and engineering construction to digital, grain and financial fields. 
In particular, the import of agricultural products from Africa shows great cooperation potential. Well, the event aims to boost business links between the two sides while welcoming more made-in-Africa products into the Chinese market. The four-day event attracted over 100,000 visitors, and that's a record high in the Expo's five-year history. Exhibitors from Africa say the Chinese market has much to offer. We can transfer the skill from China to Mozambique for Africa in general. Very, very good to deal with because they're very proactive and they want to do business. Uh, official uh, data shows that uh, China's direct investment in Africa in the first four months of the year totaled nearly 1.4 billion U.S. dollars, and that was a gain of 24 percent. That's your headline news update. This is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China's smaller companies reported continued growth in June. Want to learn about world affairs in a more laid-back and accessible manner? Join insiders, experts, and analysts in the casual setting of the chat lounge to hear their personal experiences and opinions on major events and hot issues. Subscribe to Chat Lounge for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. At 37 minutes past the hour now. Stock markets on the Chinese mainland finish higher on Monday. Timothy Pope has more. Markets around Asia got a very strong start to the second half of the year. Uh, the Shanghai Composite Index rose 1.3%, uh, one of its biggest gains in a while. Uh, and both the uh, Shenzhen component and the small cap Chinex board added uh, six tenths of 1%. The markets uh, continue to expect policy action from the government to support the economic recovery. There was also a statement from the PBOC which said that it would deploy monetary policy in a precise and forceful manner to deal with the recovery slowdown. Energy and financial stocks were the best performing sectors, uh, led by gains uh, at the big banks and oil refiners. Real estate stocks weren't doing badly either, despite results of another private survey from the China Real Estate Information Corporation. Uh, that showed that home sales were down more than 29% year-on-year in June, and sales revenue for developers slumped during the first half of the year. Poly developments, though, pipped Country Garden to become China's biggest home seller in the first half of the year, while uh, China Vanka was number two. Country Garden slipped to fifth place. Uh, Poly and Vanka both ended uh, the day up a bit less than 1% on the uh, Shanghai and Shenzhen markets. That was market analyst Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index rose more than 2%. In Japan, the Nikkei gained around 1.7%. The private Saishin survey shows smaller size companies have remained in expansion territory. The Saishin Purchasing Managers Index, which tracks factory activity among, among uh, mid and smaller companies, came in at 50.5 in June. Uh, that's lower than the reading in May due to uh, weakening global demand. However, improvements on the supply side, including lower material costs in China, have supported production. The results better than the official manufacturing PMI, which stood at 49 points for June. And uh, that reading, of course, includes large state-owned companies. 
China's Logistics Prosperity Index nudged up 0.2 points to 51.7 in June. China Logistics Information Center Director Liu Yuhang says the new order index of railway transport, air transport, warehousing, and Postal Express is in the expansion range. From the perspective of people's daily consumption and e-commerce, we can see that the volume of postal packages has reached 350 million pieces per day, indicating a relatively rapid growth of online retail sales of physical goods. Regarding demand, uh, the new order index stood at 50.4, and that was up 0.7 points from the previous month. Tesla delivered more than 460,000 vehicles in the second quarter of 2023, and that was up 83%. Around 96% of the deliveries were of its Model Y and Model 3 cars. Meanwhile, Tesla said it produced around 480,000 vehicles in the second quarter. That's almost double that of a year earlier. Kenya's on track to developing its digital economy with the operation of a new national cloud data center. Chinese company Huawei completed the first phase of the Konza Technopolis in 2021. Uh, Robert Nagila has more from Nairobi. About 80 kilometers from Kenya's capital, Nairobi, the Konza Technopolis, a new smart city, is taking shape. It is here that the national data center is situated. A partnership between the ICT ministry and the Chinese tech giant Huawei. The center comprises of a national cloud data center and a smart ICT network. Data, voice, video services, systems and applications are supported here. Phase one of that project that involved the development of the uh, national data center is complete and the data center is currently operational. Uh, what is uh, left is now the smart city aspect which is waiting for the horizontal infrastructure project to be completed. Through the data center, Kenya has access to Chinese technology in areas such as smart public transport systems and artificial intelligence. The data center, which falls under the Belt and Road Initiative projects in the technology sector, was funded by China and is a key enabler towards Kenya's digital economy. We've provided the necessary infrastructure uh, we've provided a state-of-the-art data center and you know AI is about uh, trends and, uh, uh, and algorithms and you need an, a platform to be able to do that and our data center provides for that. The project is in line with the eight major initiatives of the Forum for China-Africa Cooperation Summit held in Beijing in 2018. There. China pledged to promote technological exchanges and cooperation in innovation and entrepreneurship with Africa in a number of areas, including the demonstration and transfer of applicable advanced technologies and training. That was Robert Nagila reporting. Japan's central bank says business sentiment improved in the second quarter as raw material costs peaked and the removal of pandemic curbs lifted factory output and consumption. Companies expect to increase capital expenditure and project inflation to stay above the Bank of Japan's uh, 2% target. So seventh, uh, or rather, it's the tenth year since China launched its flagship Belt and Road Initiative. The infrastructure development strategy covers almost 75% of the world's population and accounts for more than half of the world's GDP. Guangdong Province is at the forefront of this project. One third of the province's foreign trade comes from countries and regions along the Belt and Road. Wang Chenyu has more. International business is definitely not strange to see in Guangdong. 
It has 2,000 years of history of sea trade. And now, with the Belt and Road Initiative, enterprises are going abroad even more than before. Going abroad, the first thing that enterprises need is capital, and sometimes for the long term. One of China's state-owned institutional banks, the Export-Import Bank of China, or EXIM, is the one that has been doing the heavy lifting to underwrite the economic development along the Belt and Road. In the past three years, Axum Bank has given us 19.7 billion yuan worth of financial support. It was mainly used to develop our export business, such as making luxury cruise ships for export to countries along the Belt and Road, like Greece and Italy. China Southern Power Grid International has also used the Axum Bank's loans to build power projects in Vietnam and Laos. Those infrastructure projects have not only generated electricity, but lifted overall life quality. Let me give you a simple example. The villagers there used to live in wood shacks made with tree stumps, and now, with our help, they have moved into concrete houses. Tang said their teams have also paved the roads and built schools for the local villages, and financially. Those projects are safe to invest. Financial return is the most important. They have basically met our expectations, especially the return on capital. For example, the first phase of our Vinh Home project in Vietnam broke even in less than three years. And for Singapore's RGE Group, thanks to its Guangdong subsidiary's successful cooperation with China's Exim Bank. It has obtained billions of dollars in loans from the bank to build a new paper-making line in Indonesia. After this project is completed, it can create at least a thousand local jobs and satisfy the demand for white cardboard in the ASEAN market. At the end of May, China's Exim Bank's outstanding loans related to Belt and Road projects exceeded 300 billion U.S. dollars. That amount of money. Which is enough to buy the whole company of Toyota has all been used in supporting development of those countries and regions along the Belt and Road. That was Wang Tianyu reporting. Well, the Academy of Information and Communications Technology says China's mobile phone shipments in May reached 26 million units. That's a 25 percent increase from a year earlier. Domestic products remained in the dominant position, accounting for over 86 percent of May's total shipments. In the first five months of this year, total mobile phone shipments edged down by 0.7 percent. Hainan Province has recorded total offshore duty-free sales of over 130 billion yuan, or roughly 18 billion U.S. dollars. During the past three years, more than 17 million shoppers purchased around 130 billion yuan of offshore duty-free products. Shoppers purchased 175 million duty-free products over the past three years. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, the Chinese women's basketball team breaks its title drought. Sideline Story brings you all things sports-related: the hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. Forty-six past the hour now. And turning to sports, here's Yang Guang. Thank you, Shane. The Chinese women's basketball national team broke a 12-year title drought by beating Japan to win the FIBA Asian Cup. 
China came from nine points down at halftime to beat the five-time defending champions 73-71 in the classic final. Head coach Chen Wei says it's been a difficult tight run. I feel this result is unreal because we did not expect to win this trophy. We faced many difficulties during the preparations, including injuries and a shortage of players. So our situation only got on track after we arrived in the competition zone. We overcame those problems step by step and made adjustments in every game. But I think we did not show our best level until the last four, which was really tough. And our players spared no efforts to advance. I'm so proud of them because they overcame so many difficulties. Chinese center Han Xu finished with 26 points and 10 rebounds in the final. She was also named MVP of the tournament. Reigning Formula One champion Max Verstappen continued his relentless march toward a third straight world title with a dominating win at Austrian Grand Prix. Verstappen started from pole and notched his seventh win in nine races so far this season. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's been a very positive weekend for us. Um, you know, with a sprint format, it, it is always a bit more hectic. But I think we did everything well as a team. And um, today the car was really, really good. We're really looking well after our tires. And uh, then, of course, you can just settle into a rhythm. And I think also, you know, the, the virtual safety car did um, made it a bit uh, different for strategies for, for quite a few cars, but we just um, stuck to our own one. And um, I think that worked out well, to be honest, at the end. Charles Leclerc finished in second place, with Sergio Perez placing third. Chinese driver Zhou Guanyu finished 14th, but was promoted to 12th after several drivers received penalties. In tennis, Wimbledon is underway in London, and men's top seed Carlos Alcaraz is eyeing a rematch with Novak Djokovic. The pair met for the first time at the Grand Slam in the semi-finals of the French Open last month, before Alcaraz was struck down by a cramp. Alcaraz says playing Djokovic is an ultimate challenge. The the pressure, I would say the the pressure that the they put to to everyone, you know, not only not only to me, to to everyone, you know, to play at your best uh, about three hours in a Grand Slam. I'm talking about uh, the Grand Slam. You know, I have to, to deal with, with that, but uh, it's something that I really wanted. And I hope to play a final here against against him. But uh, for me, this uh, probably is the toughest thing uh, facing the work. Alcaraz faces retiring Frenchman Jeremy Chardy in the first round, while Djokovic plays Pedro Kachin. Chinese women's players Zhu Ling, Wang Xingyu and Zheng Qingwen will be in action on day one of the tournament. This year's Wimbledon will feature AI-generated audio commentary and captions in its online highlights videos. Nick Kyrgios has withdrawn from this year's Wimbledon on the eve of the tournament due to a rest injury. Kyrgios had been scheduled to begin his campaign against David Goffin on Monday. The 28-year-old also withdrew from the Australian Open in January due to a knee injury which required surgery. She has played only one match since a defeat to Chinese player Wu Yibin in Stuttgart last month. And in cycling, Victor Luffy gave his Cofidis team their first Tour de France victory in 15 years when he claimed stage 2. The Frenchman powered away with one kilometer to go and did not look back in the bunch sprint. When I went, I didn't know if I went for the win. I just went. I just looked at the lines. The numbers on the side of the road, it was like 100 meters, 50 meters. And then eventually, I had it. It's a little bit unbelievable. Yesterday, I was frustrated with the finish. 
is crazy. Wout van Aert took second place and the former champion today, Pogacar, finished the third. Pogacar is six seconds behind his UAE Emirates teammate Adam Yates, who is now in the overall leader's yellow jersey. In golf, Ricky Fowler won his first PGA Tour title in over four years following a dramatic playoff victory over Colin Morikawa and Adam Hadwin at Rocket Mortgage Classic. A birdie at 18th hole ensured that Fowler joined his two rivals on 24-under overall. The trail returned to the hole for the playoff, which Fowler ended with another birdie to win. Yeah, I just kept telling myself, just hit a good putt and give it a chance. Um... I, I didn't see a whole lot of the putt until kind of the end. It hung on and caught the right center. And yeah, I was kind of just still and quiet, and everyone was going crazy around me. So it was a it was a nice moment just to to kind of feel like the the weight on my shoulders was finally off. It marked a fellow sixth PGA Tour win. Team China staged a dramatic comeback to stun the United States 3-2, wrapping up its journey in the Women's Volleyball Nations League preliminary round on a triumphant note. China was down twice in the match but managed to crawl back before a deciding 15-8 win in the fifth set. Li Yingying amassed a match-high 28 points. China has secured its spot in the final round of eight teams, which begins on July 12th. And finally, in football, Liverpool continued its midfield overhaul with the signing of Dominic Sobosley from Leipzig. The Hungarian international costs £60 million after Liverpool triggered his release clause. He has agreed to a five-year contract. Sobosley's arrival follows the Liverpool signing of Alexis McAllister, who completed the move from Brighton last month. Thank you very much. That was Yang Guang with Sports. Uh, this is the Beijing Hour, and coming up in culture, the annual Gateway to Arts 2023 Summer Festival. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. 53 past the hour now. In culture and entertainment, the Beijing Symphony Orchestra has held a concert at the Forbidden City Concert Hall, kicking off the annual Gateway to Arts 2023 Summer Festival. More than 70 performances from classical music to dance and to traditional Chinese operas in Guqin will be on stage. Uh, for the first time, the festival will go outside Beijing with programs in six cities near the capital, such as Tianjin and Baoding. A small low-rise building called the Greenhouse Theatre has sprung up in London. Built with sustainable materials and surrounded by uh, the glass and steel towers of Canary Wharf, its mission is to serve as a reminder that everyone can battle climate change. Lee Jianhua has more. This show to the ocean is a modern telling of the silken myth where people transform between human beings and seals. It's told with a cast of four with a few props. Built from reused materials to the small construction, it's built at the first zero-waste theatre in the UK. The small portable venue is staging place in the capital over the summer. The idea is to bring people together and raise awareness of environmental protection in a gentle way. It's about not necessarily ramming 
climate change or sustainable choices down your throat. It's about just inviting you to see a different way of, yeah. like, how do we actually interact with the world? And also, how does, as we move away from, like, as we move away from rural settings, how does our relationship with magic change? Because it's obviously yeah. it's a fairy tale, so there is a bit of magic in there. The theatre space can host up to 50 audience members. Some are impressed with the ethos of the theatre. I'm very concerned, I think, like many people, about climate change. And I think it's really interesting to see how personal or individual um, actions can take place just as theatre because like um, theatre production or media production in general can be so wasteful especially if you think about like the film industry and just huge theatre productions so it's lovely to see that it is possible to do without such waste uh, it definitely feels like the beginning of it however with trips to the theatre considered a luxury during Britain's cost of living crisis the founder is worried for future projects it's not doing quite as well as, as we'd like it to, um, which, is a, which is a real shame. It's, it's kind of putting some of the, our future projects in a bit of jeopardy. Um, but we hope that we'll be able to just kind of keep plowing on through and people will start to hear more about us and more people will come to our shows, more people will buy drinks. The theatre director says his target audiences are aged between 16 and 35, who tend to be very worried about the environment. The upcycled theatre here serves to form a community where they can make a difference no matter how small that is. That was Lee Janhua in London. For the first time, Marvel fans will be able to watch heroic super soldier Steve Rogers sing and dance on stage at Disneyland Resort's one-act musical theater production, Rogers the Musical. As part of Walt Disney's 100th anniversary celebration, Disneyland opened the 30-minute musical at the Hyperion Theater at Disney California Adventure Park. The musical follows the life of Steve Rogers and includes Save the City, along with five new songs with music by Grammy-winning composer Christopher Lennertz. The final installment of the Indiana Jones films had a lower-than-expected opening weekend. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny came in on the lower end of projections with 60 million U.S. dollars in ticket sales from North American theaters. Hitler made mistakes, and with this, I will correct them all. Well, it easily earned the number one title, but the revenue was only 60% of the amount of the previous installment. Uh, Dial of Destiny is uh, the long-delayed fifth installment in the adventure series that began back in 1981, and uh, the first one that Steven Spielberg, uh, Steven Spielberg has not directed. Uh, the film grossed $2.2 million on the Chinese mainland over the weekend, way below domestic hits Lost in the Stars and Never Say Never. Dial of Destiny's underwhelming debut uh, comes just a few weeks after The Flash and Elemental had lackluster openings in North America. Well, Shanghai History Museums announced the founding of an alliance with eight other museums in the Yangtze River Delta region. Uh, they'll host a traveling exhibition next year, starting at Shanghai History Museum before visiting the other member institutions. Uh, the new alliance will share resources on the research of the distinctive cultural characteristics of the Yangtze River Delta region, as well as on the protection of cultural relics. We're at 58 minutes past the hour. Um, Beijing's at 23 degrees overnight. Tuesday, we'll see a, a light rainfall turning to sunny with the high of 32. Chongqing's at 24 this evening, then clouds in 28 degrees. Last is down to 10 overnight. Light rainfall in 25 tomorrow. Hong Kong's at 26 this evening, then rain in 31. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 23 overnight, a light rain in 31 on Tuesday. Islamabad's at 23 this evening, a light rain in 38 tomorrow. Bangkok's at 27 overnight, then some rain in 34. In Africa, Nairobi has a light 
light rain in 21 degrees. And finally to Oceania, Sydney's at 9 this evening, a light rainfall in 14 on Tuesday. Auckland's at 13 overnight, then some rain in 15. Uh, Port Vila's overcast in 26 degrees Celsius. That's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, uh, the grandmother of the French teenager shot dead by police is now calling for calm. And there's mixed reaction in Mali after the UN announced the withdrawal of peacekeepers by the end of the year. On behalf of the staff, Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa Talk. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. We'll see you there. A million, a billion, or maybe a gazillion years ago, a giant split open an egg. Then came the lady giant who made people, and Mr. Curious, the botanist, Mr. Handyman, the baron on the tree. This is our new season of Chinese folk tales, and we will explore the ancient mystical world together. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen.